this debate between uh, two atheists and two Christians. And one of the problems that the atheists had with Christianity was this. They felt like Christianity was a sham because they said you can live however you want as long as you ask forgiveness in the end. And the two Christians were kind of stumped. They were like, okay, we know that God's forgiving. God, God does forgive really any kind of sin. And so they were really kind of stumped as to how to respond to that question. So the atheist said, we think Christianity is a total sham because you can live however you want as long as you ask forgiveness in the end. So your first question at your tables is this. How would you respond to that argument? If, if we are saved by grace then what incentive do we have as Christians to live a holy life? Discuss that for a few minutes at your tables. How would you respond? Okay, on the surface, it looks like Christianity has this as a premise, right? You can really do anything you want, and God will forgive you in the end. I mean, you would think that wouldn't the gospel lead us to live any way that we want, even once you're saved? If you think of it like this, how many of you guys are seniors in here this morning? You're seniors, or you've graduated from high school. Okay, just a few seniors here today. Uh, now, my guess for you seniors is that Maybe towards the end of your junior year and the beginning of your senior year was when you really worked hard for grades, if you're a grade kind of person. Uh, You really buckled down and thought, okay, if I'm going to get into this school, I've got to really get this thing knocked out. If I'm going to get scholarship money, I've got to work really hard, right? And so you felt this extra motivation to get good grades at that time of your life. But how many of you guys are, you already know where you're going to go to school, and you already have scholarship money. 
Okay? So my guess, just a hypothesis, my guess is that once you got that nailed, your grades kind of went like this a little bit. I'm not talking like going from A's to S, but you know, the A's become B's, the B's become C's, and so on. You just, you don't really care as much, right? I mean, you're already accepted, you have your scholarship money, so what's the motivation? What's the point? And I think most of the time, a lot of Christians live out their faith this way, right? I mean, they, they see Christianity the same way. If, if God already fully accepts you, then why obey? What's the motivation? What's the incentive? In fact, I think, I think many of you probably really struggle with this. Even at your age in high school, you, you probably have this mindset that, okay, I'm, I'm a Christian, I've, I've got my, my ticket stamped to heaven. And so, you know, I don't want to be one of those Christians that has a boring testimony. I don't want to be one of those Christians that has never tried anything. I don't want to be one of those Christians that, you know, has never tried the party scene out. I don't want to be one of those Christians that's never tried any kind of drug. Or I don't want to be one of those Christians that's never tried to go a little further with my girlfriend. I mean, I don't want to be one of those Christians that has a boring testimony, right? And, and so you feel this pressure that, yeah, I've got, I've got this walk with Christ, but on the other hand, I want to experience life. I want to experience life. And so you struggle with this. You really struggle with this dilemma. And there's this question in each one of us. If, if God loves me and accepts me no matter what, then what's the point of obedience? And this is really the question we're going to struggle with this morning as we look at Galatians. If, if God loves us no matter what, then, then how is it possible that that truth transforms us? If God loves us unconditionally, how does that truth lead to us changing and becoming transformed? So this passage answers that question this morning. Look at Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to look at verses uh, 1 through 13. Go ahead and turn there if you have your Bibles. Galatians 5, chapter, chapter 5, verse 1. And here's what Paul says. In verse 1, he says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So verse 1 says very clearly that, that Christ brings us freedom. Now there's two ways that this is true. When you become a Christian, when you place your faith in Christ... There are two ways that you're set free. You are set free from the power of sin, but you're also set free from the penalty of sin. You're set free from the penalty of sin in that when you die at the end of your life, you will enter God's presence, and you will not have to go and live separated from God in hell, and you will not have to participate in the penalty for your sin. But you're also set free from the power of sin in this life. In other words, as you're walking through life, that sin no longer has a stranglehold on you. Now you still struggle. Of course you struggle. But before you were a Christian, it was like you're a slave and sin is your master. And whatever sin tells you to do, you have to do it. In fact, I used to work with a guy a long time ago in this restaurant that I worked in. 
And, uh, and this guy was not a believer, but he had a very profound sense of the stranglehold that sin had on him. He would say things to me like, man, I really wish I didn't have to go out and gamble. I really wish I didn't have to go to certain kinds of clubs. I really wish I didn't have to be an alcoholic. I mean, he, he really felt this stranglehold, that, that whatever these things, these desires were telling him to do, it was like he had to follow it. He had no other choice. But once you become a Christian, you now have a new power that enters into you because of the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And because of that power, you are now free from the power of sin in your life. So, so Christ brings you freedom. He brings you freedom. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. Many of you don't see it that way. Many of you don't see Christianity that way. Most of you probably see Christianity as restricting, as legalistic, oppressive, keeping you from doing what you really want to do. So here's the next question for you to discuss. How is it that Paul can say Christianity is freedom when it feels like the opposite to most of us? Go ahead and discuss. If you look at this first verse, there's a third way that Paul says that Christ sets us free. We've already said how it sets us free from the power of sin and from the penalty of sin. There's a third way that that Christ sets us free. Christ sets us free from something called legalism. 
Now, when I say legalism, I don't mean just having high standards for things. I'm talking about a kind of legalism where, where people try to earn favor with God through their works. So they, they see the Christian life as a performance. They see it, they're always on this, you know, sort of seesaw with God, where whenever they're doing well, they're in good standing with God. Whenever they're doing poorly, they're in bad standing with God. And that's how they view their Christian walk. And so this verse, the second half of this verse, tells us how Christ sets us free from this legalistic mindset. Okay? He says to stand firm. What's he saying stand firm against? He's saying stand firm against these people that are trying to come into your church and, and cause you to become legalistic. That's what's happening in Galatia at the time in this, in this, in this body of believers. He says, stand firm. You've got to stand firm against that because the gospel sets you free from legalism. The gospel sets you free from this Christian rat race trying to earn favor with God through your works. So he says, stand firm. This also shows how easy it is for us as believers to slip into this legalistic mindset. Somebody can come to know Christ and understand grace intellectually, but once you begin to live out your Christian walk, what happens? Legalism begins to creep in. You start to you know, feel good towards God when you're having a good day. You feel bad towards God when you're having a bad day. You feel like God disapproves of you whenever you are, are dealing with a certain sin issue in your life, and you live with this performance-based relationship towards God. The gospel sets you free from that. Look at verse 2. It says, Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. And you're like, what is he talking about now? This whole deal with Galatia, we talked about circumcision like the first week in Galatians. Basically, here's the, the big picture. The Galatians have become Christians, but they are these legalistic people that have come into leadership that are now trying to convince the Galatians that, okay, you've got Christ, that's great, but Christ isn't all you need. You need to also follow the law of the Old Testament, which also included circumcision, which sounds like a weird thing to us, because we don't have something like that of course, in our culture for that reason. But it's still, in that culture, was a religious rite of passage. It was like, okay, you're, you're, you're one of, you're, you're someone that, that's, that's of Israel. You're, you're part of the Jews because you have this sign of circum. It's a sign of the covenant, this sign of circumcision. And so they felt like you've got to have Christ and the Old Testament law. So that's what Paul's discussing here when he says this in verse 2. He says, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Verse 3, again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. So the Galatians are basically adding things to the gospel. And Paul says this, he says, if you add anything to Christ, then you might as well throw out Christ altogether. You can't add anything to Jesus Christ and have it still be the gospel. It's no longer the naked, pure gospel. 
You might as well throw out Christ completely. He's of no value to you if you add anything to Jesus Christ. Basically, he's saying what, what Christ is trying to offer you will not be able to take root in the soil of a legalistic heart. Because think about it. When you come to know Christ, here's what it requires. It requires humility to say, God, I have nothing to offer you. I have nothing to offer you. That's why I need you for salvation. I I can't place my faith in my own works. So how would it be possible to come to Jesus Christ with that kind of humility, but on the other hand, be able to look at your own works, look at what you have, what you've done for God, and say, well, here, God, look, look at what I've done for you. Look at how good I am. That would be like somebody being prideful and humble at the same time. You can't have both of those things together. It's impossible. And this is what Paul's arguing against with the Galatians. Now, whenever you look at verse 4, it raises an interesting question. It says, You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. There are many churches that will use this verse to say that it's possible for someone to be saved and then later on lose their salvation. So that's your next question to discuss. Can someone be saved and then later lose their salvation? And don't just say yes or no. I want you to back up what you believe and why you believe it. Go ahead and discuss.
Okay, the short answer to this question, can someone lose their salvation, is no. That's the shortest answer I can think of. But, there are many people who think they are saved, who may not be saved. Paul, throughout the New Testament, he'll say things like, he'll say things like, uh, I want you to test yourself. Test yourself to see if you're still in the, if you're really in the faith. And so that's a good challenge for you to think about. Test yourself to see if you, if you really are a believer. That's a good question for everyone to ask. But the short answer to that question is no, you can't lose your salvation. But there are plenty of people who think they're saved that, that really aren't saved at all. Because here's the argument. If you're, if you're saved by grace, if you can't earn your salvation, then on what basis would you lose your salvation? Right? If you can't work for your salvation, then on what basis would you actually lose it? I mean, there are, there are actually church denominations that I've, I've heard of that teach this. They, they teach that, yeah, if you, if you do that, then you're going to lose your salvation. If you do that, then you're, you're really going to, you know, God's going to reject you. God's going to cast you away, and, and you're going to lose your salvation. And they kind of hold that in fear over people to get them to behave So here we are with our original question that we asked, and that is, so, if the gospel is based on grace, then what's the point of obedience? What's our motivation to obey? If the gospel is is free, God gives us this free gift of salvation, then what what motivates us to really want to obey God? What's the incentive? We're going to keep reading and find out. Look at verse 5. It says, But by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. Verse 5, when you first read it, you kind of go, that just sounded like blah, 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 blah. Paul can write these verses sometimes and you just go, I don't know what you're talking about. But by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. What in the world is he saying there? Here's what he's saying. He is saying that there is this yearning, there is this thing inside of each Christian that that feels like, I I know I fall short, I know I fall short of some standard, even though I'm a Christian, I'm saved by grace, I know I still fall short of perfection. I know I still fall short of perfect righteousness here on this earth. But there's this thing inside of, inside of us that hopes for that, that, that yearns for that. And most of us want to see it happen in the here and now. But as long as you're in this life, you're always going to struggle with sin. That's just the reality. But he's saying that as you, as you put your hope in your future righteousness, you, you wait for it. You, you know it's coming one day. Okay? This verse means that that Christians can't be perfect on earth, but you're going to be made perfect later on. So here's how this sets you free. This sets you free because now whenever you struggle with sin in this life, you don't have to live in shame. You don't have to be bound by shame because you know that this life is going to have both and it's going to have sin and it's going to have good works it's going to have both of those things and and so God sets you free from living a life of shame whenever you fail look at verse 6 he says for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself 
through love. Here's what he's saying. The Galatians are keeping a scorecard. And it's not just about circumcision and uncircumcision. It's about the whole law. They're keeping a scorecard as to who's good and who's bad. Who's in and who's out. And Paul comes along and says, you are looking at the wrong things. You're looking at the wrong picture. He's saying that that your good performance doesn't make you more saved, and your bad performance doesn't make you more lost. The only thing that counts is faith in Christ alone. And when that faith transforms you and changes you, that faith is expressed in a real, tangible love for God and love for other people. And so if you want to measure your walk with God, don't look at just your works. Don't look at just the external things. He says, measure it with love. If you want to measure your walk with God, measure it with love. How, how well do you love God? How well do you love people? When someone talks to you about God, what is it that wells up in your heart? Is it rebellion? Or is it a real love for God? When you're around other kinds of people, is there a, a real love that kind of wells up in your heart for people? Or is it hatred? Is it bitterness? Is it rage? You see, the, the sign of, of, of true maturity, when, when someone asks you, how do you know if you're maturing in the faith? It's a great question to ask. How do you know? How do I know I'm growing? How do I know I'm maturing in my faith? The sign of true maturity is when you do things because you love God, not so He'll love you. It's when you do things because you have this love rolling up inside of your heart that you just can't contain. And you're doing things for God, not to earn His love, but you're doing things because you love Him. And that's the sole motivating factor. Look at verse 7. He says, You are running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. Brothers, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Okay, we've got to talk about verse 12. This is in the Bible, verse 12, as you can see. And here's what he's saying. He's referring to these, these agitators, these legalistic Galatians that are leading the other people astray. And he says, here's what he's getting at. He's basically saying that that I wish, this is going to get graphic, sorry. I wish that as they take the knife to circumcise themselves, that the knife would slip and they would actually castrate themselves or neuter themselves. Okay? That's what Paul is saying here. Alright? Now, when I look at that verse, I have to step back. I mean, I believe in the full inspiration of Scripture. I believe that that every word of this book is inspired by God. But there was a little check in my mind this past week where I had to ask the question, God, is that inspired? 
was that verse inspired too? Because I don't know about that one. And so this, this question got me searching for an answer as to what Paul is really getting at here. Because on the surface, it looks like he's kind of making a locker room type comment, right? It looks like he's just kind of nudging one of his friends and he's saying, Hey, you know those Galatians? Uh, I just wish that, you know, whenever they're circumcising themselves that they would just go the whole way. You know what I'm saying? And just kind of like a real crude, crass remark, you know? That's what it sounds like he's getting at here. It sounds like this... I mean, I wouldn't wish this on anybody. My worst enemy, right? So what is Paul... Why is he talking like this? What is the deal? You know? Here's what he's trying to say. You see, back then... There were other people, other religions that, that worshipped idols, false religions. They worshipped false gods. And there were some religions that they, had, they also had priests that would officiate in their temples. And what these priests would do is they would actually, as an act of spiritual piety, they would actually castrate anew themselves. True story. Okay? And, and so Paul is making a comparison here. He is saying to the Galatians, he is saying that if you believe you have to follow the Old Testament law to be saved, then you're no better off than the pagans. You're in the same camp as the pagans. You might as well just cut everything off because you're just like them. You're being just like them. That's his point. If you, he, here's his point. If, if you think for one minute that you can save yourself by following the law, then you're as lost as the pagans. You're as lost as the pagans. Look at verse 13. He says, You, my brothers, were called to be free. Do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. So Paul knows that many people are going to think... Many Christians are going to think, okay, if we're free from the law, if we're free in Christ, we do whatever we want, right? We can do whatever, we can live however we want, and be however we want. If we're saved by grace, then we can act however we like, right? Wrong. You see, many people think that freedom is getting to do whatever you want, but true freedom is getting to do what God wants, True freedom is getting to do what God wants. And, and some might say, well, I'm sorry, but, but what God wants doesn't sound like a get-to. It sounds like a have-to. What, what God wants doesn't sound like a, okay, I, I, get to, I get to wait for marriage to have sex. All right. It, it doesn't sound like a get-to. It sounds like a have-to. If that is you, then then you don't really understand the gospel. If someone says, now that I'm a Christian, I get to do whatever I want, that person really doesn't understand the gospel. I'll give you an example. I recently heard a story about a man who asked his wife if he could go visit a prostitute. True story. And when confronted on this issue, the man got defensive and said, Well, I asked her. I mean, most guys would just go and do it, but I asked her. And, of course, you, like me, I mean, you're going, What? You don't understand. You obviously don't understand marriage. 
if you'd ask a question like that. And in the same way, the person who asks a question, now that I'm a Christian, can't I live however I want? That person doesn't understand the gospel. You don't really get it. You don't understand the gospel. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, now that you're free, don't use your freedom to walk straight back into slavery. This would be like if somebody had a slave master, and they were a slave, and their master had been beating them for 30 years, and he finally said, hey, I'm going to set you free. Today's your birthday. I'm going to set you free. And the slave's walking down the road in total freedom, and then all of a sudden he goes, you know what? I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back right into slavery. I'm just going to walk back down this road and walk back right into where I came from. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature and walk straight back into slavery. That doesn't make sense. If you do that, then you don't really understand the gospel. You don't understand what you've been set free from. So Paul says, don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature because when you do that, you aren't free at all. You're a slave all over again. And guys, there, there are a ton of things. I was thinking this week, there are a ton of things that look like freedom, but are really slavery. You think of pornography. To, to most people, pornography, looking at people on the internet, whenever you want, however you want, as often as you want, that, that looks like freedom on the outside. It looks like freedom. But you sit down and ask somebody... Is it really freedom? They would say, no, it's, it's like a prison. This thing controls me. This thing is like slavery. I can't kick the habit. You ask someone, think of, think of it like this. Think of someone who really struggles with, with part, the party lifestyle, underage drinking and so on. Somebody who really struggles with that. Yeah, on the outside, it looks like freedom. On the outside, it looks like, hey, that's, that's what I want to do. But, but you really get down to the, the core of it. And they are having to break the law to be accepted by peers. That is a slavery. That's, that's a prison. If, if you're someone who has to be in an unhealthy relationship, an ungodly relationship, to feel good about yourself... That looks like freedom on the outside, but that's, that's slavery. That's a prison. If you're somebody who has to gossip and slander other people, that, that looks like freedom on the outside, but that's a slavery. If you're somebody who has to do that to be accepted by other people, that's a slavery. That's a, that's a prison. And so this verse answers our first question. If we're saved by grace, then why obey? Here's why. Because obeying God is where you find true freedom. That's where you find true freedom. So so for the person who asked the question, now that I'm a Christian, can I do what I want? God changes what you want. 
He changes your very desires. He changes the desires of your heart. When you understand this, this pure and naked gospel, obeying God becomes your greatest want. And of course, you still struggle with sin. Of course you do. I'm not saying that you don't. But deep down, there's something in you that has been transformed, and deep down in the core of your, be- of your being, you know that what you most deeply want is to obey God, to love God. I, see, I say it like this. It's, it's what you want versus what you really want. In other words, whenever you're tempted with sin... Yes, there's a part of you on the outside that's like, okay, I really want to sin. I really want to do this thing. But there's a part of you on the inside that's deeper, that, that really feels like, no, I really want to honor God. I really want to be in right relationship with God. I really want that too. And there's these two things that are conflicting. And the deeper core want and desire in you, when it's been transformed by Christ, is that you really want to obey God. Because it's what you're made for. It's what you're made for. There are two pitfalls I want to highlight for this whole passage for young Christians like yourselves. And it is these. Legalism and license. On the one hand, Christians deal with legalism. Trying to earn favor with God. Trying to earn their place in salvation with God. On the other hand, they struggle with license. The license to sin. Well, hey, now that I'm a Christian, can I live how I want? Those are the two extreme struggles that most of you probably struggle with in your young faith. I want to show you how the naked gospel changes us. Here's how. If I take a a bar like this one, and I did bend this myself, in case you're wondering. But it wasn't that difficult. It was pretty easy. Uh, but if you um, take a bar like this, there's really two ways to try to make it go back to the way it was, to being straight. The first way is just to bend it back. And uh, but what that would do is when you bend a bar like this, it actually tears some of the fibers inside the bar. And so if I bend it back, just as is, it's going to make the bar weaker than before. Even though it's straight on the outside, it's going to be weaker than before because the interior part has been torn and damaged and so on. So that's one way to, uh, to bend this bar back. The other way to do it is to put it into a fire and let the interior part of this bar become transformed on the inside and once it's gotten hot and it's glowing you bend it back and once it has cooled it will now be as strong as it was when it was straight and that's an example I think of what God does for us there's so many of us you know we're, we're bent you come into this world bent with sin like this you come in with a sinful nature and we try in our own strength sort of to bend ourselves back like this and we take care of the outside and we ignore the inside. We try to bend ourselves back and in the end, we just become weaker. Just become weaker. And so many of us are trying to change the outside without allowing God to change the inside, without allowing Him to change the essence of who you are and transform you in your heart. And here's the truth, guys, is that God wants to change your heart. He does. 
God wants to change your heart. The point of becoming a Christian isn't just new behavior, but a new person. A completely new person. And becoming a new person will lead to new behavior. It's not just to look different on the outside, but to be different on the inside. And if what we're talking about this morning, if Christianity sounds, still sounds to you restricting and oppressive and legalistic, then maybe your heart hasn't been changed. Maybe you've been trying to just bend yourself back and you feel weaker as a result and you haven't really allowed God to come into your life and change your life from the inside out. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for being a God who does change us in spite of our sin. God, we know that you offer salvation to us in spite of the fact that we uh, ignore your pursuit so many times. God, I pray that you'd help each, each person in this room that is struggling this morning with this dilemma of why should I obey God once I'm saved. God, I pray that, that you would convict us. You'd help us each one of us to be convicted by that, knowing that we, we become a believer in Christ that you change our wants, you change our desires to line them up with your desires. And whenever we still struggle with sin, God, we know that it's our old nature talking. God, help us to embrace that this morning. We pray in your name. Amen. Guys, have a great day.